Hello, and welcome to the Building Community Podcast, the Doorbell Podcast. I am delighted to be here today with Dr. Waldiger of the Harvard Study of Adult Development. Doctor, thank you so much for coming today. Sure. How's it feel to be right here in downtown Boston? <laughs> it, feels, uh, it feels like being right in the middle of a vibrant community. Uh, hospitals and North Station and the Garden. Lots going on all the time. Amazing. So tell us a little more about yourself, some of your work, and, and what you're passionate about. Well, I'm directing this study, which is the longest study, as far as we know, uh, of adult life that's ever been done. Next year, we, we enter our 80th year of the study. So I'm the fourth director and started in 1938 with uh, 724 teenagers uh, following them. And almost all have died now, but a few are still alive and we're still following them into their mid-90s. Um, so that's what I do. Amazing. And, and what are some new developments from the study? I know the study has expanded quite a bit. Yeah. We've, uh, so we studied these men all the way through their lives and later on in their lives studied their wives. Uh, but now we're studying their children. And fortunately, that means half of them are women because prior to that, our study was mostly men. But uh, we're studying over 1,300 of their children. And who are all baby boomers, all in their 50s and 60s. And uh, we're studying how their childhoods and the quality of their childhood environments affects what they're like in midlife and what their health is like. Interesting. So tell us some of the findings from the first part of the study and what you're starting to see now. Well, the first part of the study was very much focused on where these young men came from, so what their childhoods were like, what their parents were like, what their homes were like. And half of them were Harvard undergrads, but the other half were inner city Boston boys uh, from really deprived backgrounds and really troubled families, deliberately chosen for that reason. And so what we found was that the quality of your childhood and particularly the quality of your relationship with your parents makes a huge difference in your emotional well-being all the way through your life, even into your 80s and 90s. And that we can trace that influence of childhood all the way into the 80s and 90s. And that's important because there are people who say, oh, all this stuff about childhood is overrated and the importance of childhood. But what it really says to us is that probably the best investment a society could make of their resources is in supporting early childhood development and supporting the people who take care of children and teach children. I know you've been doing a lot of work recently on the role of community across a lot of these health metrics and actually internationally as well. So what, what is the role of community in, in a lot of what you're studying? Well, the other thing we found um, in following these men for almost 80 years was that the quality of their relationships predicted how well they were going to grow old, meaning how happy they were going to be as they grew older and physically how healthy they were going to be. And that the people who had bigger social networks but also had more satisfying relationships uh, developed the diseases of aging less soon and less often. Uh, so they 
didn't develop diabetes as soon or as regularly. They didn't develop heart disease. They didn't develop arthritis as often. And they, um, they maintained their cognitive abilities longer than people who were more isolated, were lonelier, uh, were in unsatisfying relationships. Right, so it's almost as if social isolation itself is, is a form of disease or a potential predictor for negative health. Well, it's a stressor. And what we found is that it literally puts the body in more of a fight or flight response. That's the theory that's getting a lot of support now from research. Right. And that if you're chronically in fight or flight response, it breaks down your body, it right. breaks down all kinds of body systems. And that that's why we think that having a harder time in your relationships, having a more troubled childhood sets you up to age with more difficulty. Right, and I know now with, with the, the role of technology in society and how it's shaping cities and countries and just societies, do you feel like technology can help us get toward a less social isolated society or is it kind of somewhere in the middle? Uh, my hunch is technology is doing both, that it's connecting some people to others more and allowing them to have more real-time relationships and that technology is also, for some people, making them more isolated. There just was a study published last month, I believe, showing that teenagers who used more social media and spent more time on the internet were had higher rates of depression, anxiety, and suicide. So we have reason to believe that some of the ways we're using technology is harming us. But we know that for other people it's life-saving and it connects them what, in ways that they could never have imagined being connected before. Right. No, I think you're exactly right. I think a lot of what we think about at Doorbell is how do we leverage technology to aid in that connection process, aid in the robustness, the strength of the relationships. Right. I think one key learning that we found is, is technology is great to allow for those interactions, but it's really the face-to-face, -face, kind of human-to-human, in-person interaction that we think is effective for building communities. And I think our hunch as well is that that is effective, and I would say indispensable, for really creating these strong relationships. I think it's now easier than ever to communicate and stay in touch with a friend who is across the sea, who is thousands of miles away, and families can stay together that way, and it's, it's phenomenal. But I think the question that we have sometimes, and I think you know, Dr. Putnam at the Harvard Kennedy School does a lot of work on is, is does that actually lead to fewer, or no, sorry, few, less robust and less meaningful relationships and perhaps more of them? Right, and, and I think the bottom line when we try to measure all this is does it increase your real-time connections or decrease them? Right. And that, that's, that's probably the litmus test for each individual of whether technology is helping or harming. Right. It's interesting. So do you also see the substitute towards real interactions being indispensable for that, or is that just one type of connection? Um, so in other words, would connecting with somebody you've never met with online over an interest, over a shared passion, be a substitute for, or would it be an aid for um, an in-person interaction with, for example, the same person? Yeah. I don't think anybody knows. My hunch is it's not a substitute, that there's so much that gets communicated in real-time in, in real interaction, in-person interaction, 
that we can't quantify perhaps and that this can't happen over Skype it can't happen through messaging right so that has to be measured that needs to be studied but my right. hunch is that there are these these aspects of human interaction that simply have to take place in real time right to get the benefits of it right that's interesting I mean, real estate I would say is, is notorious for, for that type of that type of framework where you have to go see a physical structure you have to go kind of walk it yourself see the bones if you will yeah and it's interesting how you know the role of new technologies like telecommunications Skype instant messaging, face, FaceTime, et cetera, has actually made these in-person interactions actually even more valuable. Mm -hmm. So we're able to get you know, the quick conversations, the quick communication done through email, et cetera, iMessage, SMS, but the real interaction, the kind of true communication happens in person. There's so much that's nonverbal right. um, that, that really plays into these relationships that are honestly very, very important. Mm -hmm. So I guess one last subject we'd love to hear your thoughts on is, is how are you measuring community? Is it self-reported happiness? Is it a level of trust? I mean, are there other things we should be thinking about? Well, we're measuring uh, definitely self-reported happiness, but not just what's your mood, but really how content are you with your life and how positive do you feel about the future and whether your life seems to have meaning to you. Uh, so we're, we're trying to look at those things and we're also trying to look at how supported you feel by other people around you. So we're, we're interested in social support, not only emotional support, but physical support. Um, if you really needed help, uh, would a neighbor bring over food? Is right. there anybody you know who could do that? So there are a number of things that we think are useful to measure that are um, somewhat reflected in the social support area of research in psychology and sociology. Um, also in the UN, the UN has a world happiness report which asks people what, what contributes to your happiness and some of those things are include political things. Hmm. Um, can, do I feel like I can trust the people who are in charge of my government. Do I feel like I can express myself freely? And those make a big difference in people's sense of happiness and well-being. And these days, that's really important. Absolutely. I mean, we are 100% believers that the strength of your community around you, the people you live around, are a phenomenal resource of, of people who can challenge you to grow, challenge you to become healthier, to become, to take on new projects as well as just social support there to you know, be a friendly face when you're coming home after a tough day, to be a friendly face after coming home after a great day and someone you want to tell somebody about your great day. Um, so it's really, really on all ends. And I think really kind of digging deep into that, how do we really foster those communities is something that we're passionate about. And I think truly we think would make you know, cities much better and, and people much happier in those cities. So we definitely think that these subjects are important and interesting but also that can help people very tangibly. Yeah. So is there anything else you challenge our listeners to think about, to, to look into? I mean, how do we um, better get involved with the Harvard study for adult development? Well, I would challenge people just to think about their own choices day to day, how they're deciding when to connect with people, when to be by themselves, and pay attention to what energizes them, what depletes them, and 
see if they can find more and more uh, of what energizes them, whether that's more interaction or different kinds of interaction, different kinds of solitude, um, that it's a very personal thing. Right. Dr. Waldinger, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Pleasure.